Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. We're so grateful that you guys are here, whether you're joining us in person or maybe you're in the courtyard or maybe you're watching at home. Uh, we're grateful to have you, especially on this day. We've got a couple things that, uh, that, that we've been doing today. One, we just had baptisms, uh, which is always just, man, one of the most exciting things that I get to do and get to be a part of and seeing people make a public declaration of their faith in Christ. Uh, so some of you, maybe you came earlier and you got to watch some of that. And then the uh, second thing is today is Man Day at Front Range. Uh, we've been calling it Man Day since the very beginning because uh, we want to celebrate all the guys. Uh, so for the fathers that are in the room, uh, man, happy Father's Day. But we know there's a lot of guys that uh, maybe want to be dads or maybe they're, uh, they're going through the process and it's just not working right now. Or uh, maybe, they're, maybe you are a father, a spiritual father or a stepfather or uh, a foster father or maybe a father of biological kids. And I just, I want to celebrate you. I want to say, men, thank you for all that you do. Well, this is one of the lowest attended weekends for churches all across America. And for the guys that showed up, you came. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. I mean, you might have come because your wife told you to, but you're still here. And so I'm so grateful for each one of you. And I, I pray that you feel celebrated today. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I never would have suspected before I met Christ that I would be in a church, period much less being a church on Father's Day. And the fact that you men chose to be here, chose to join us online, I'm just so grateful. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. I pray that today you feel celebrated. You get to eat all the meat that you want or watch golf or whatever it is that you want to do. And I'm grateful that you chose to spend uh, some time here with us. Uh, now, I've told a little bit of my story in the past. And part of my story is that uh, I didn't grow up in the church and my faith in God uh, really didn't exist for quite a while. I oscillated back and forth between atheism and agnosticism. Agnosticism says, I really don't believe in anything. Uh, atheism says, I don't believe that a God exists. And as I think back to that time in my life about, especially when I was an atheist, I think, man, what caused me to be there? Like, what causes someone to be an atheist? Some of you, you, you might have some friends in your life that are atheists. Maybe some of you sitting here right now, you're saying, man, I, it's kind of where I'm at. Like I question whether or not God is real or whether or not he exists. And the question for me is what leads us to that point, right? Well, what gets somebody to the place of going, man, God does not exist. The interesting thing is they've done a lot of studies and surveys on this. And it's, it's not because bad things happen to people. You know, sometimes people think, well, if God is so good and loving, then why do all the bad things happen in the world? That's not what causes people to go to atheism. It's not because God doesn't answer prayers. Uh, it's not because people, the atheists, are, are super rational and intelligent. Uh, they've done a lot of studies on this. Let me, let me read one summary of, of one of those studies. It says this, a lot of people, atheists in particular, like to talk about how atheism comes from rational thought. Atheism mostly comes down to cultural learning. Specific cues that we're exposed to growing up about how, how sincerely those around us believe in God. Meaning this, I've sat across the table from a lot of atheists and we've had this discussion. Like what has got you to this place where you don't believe that God exists? And they all point to Christians. They all point to the fact that somebody in their life said that they were a follower of God, that they were a believer in God, that they were a follower of Jesus, and they didn't look like it. They didn't act like it. They didn't act the way that we are called to act as followers of Jesus. This is such a serious topic that God puts this topic in the Ten Commandments. 
Right now, we're in a series where we're studying the Ten Commandments, uh, and, and we're looking at how do the Ten Commandments apply to our lives. For every series, we've created what are called a, a message series hub. You can get there by going to our website, frontrange.org, or you can scan the QR code that Pastor Johnny just talked about, and you'll see the message series hubs right there. So we have a whole series hub on this series that we're in, the Ten Commandments. And the reason why we have these hubs is because we want you to grow. Uh, we, we say all the time that it's not my job to feed you, it's my job to make you hungry and then give you resources to feed yourself. So we want to help you grow deeper in your faith, and so we've provided a ton of resources in this series hub. If you missed any of the weeks of this series, you can go watch them there, you can get other resources there as well. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, a lot of people, they have, a, a, I would say, a, a misunderstanding of what the Ten Commandments are about. Some people think about the Ten Commandments, they think about a more conservative time in our country where you would find Ten Commandments outside of uh, a courthouse or outside of schools. Other people would say the Ten Commandments really uh, are, are from a, a God that just wants to be a dictator, that he just puts all these laws on us. But the Ten Commandments are so much more. Right, we talked about in week one of this series, the Ten Commandments are really a covenant between us and God. It's God saying, that I love you so much that I'm going to go first. I'm going to display my love to you. So for the Israelites, how he did that is he rescued them from slavery from the Egyptians. He says, hey, I'm pulling you away from this slavery and setting you free. For you and I, God showed his great love for us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be rescued from slavery, but slavery from our sin. And so God says, this is a covenant between you and I. It's kind of like a, a marriage between a man and a woman where there, there's this partnership. And so both people have to put something in. If you want a healthy marriage, you both have to work for a healthy marriage. God says, I'm going to go first. Here's what I'm doing for this covenant. But if you're going to be in this relationship with me, there's something you've got to do as well. Here's how you display your love. So week one, we looked at the first commandment, which is you shall have no other gods. Week two, we looked at the second commandment, which is you shall not make any idols and worship them. So today we're going to look at the third commandment. I think this commandment is probably the most misunderstood out of all the commandments. Commandment number three is this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Verse 7 is where we find this particular commandment. It says this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. He says, don't misuse the name of God because God's not going to hold you guiltless. Like there's going to be some type of repercussion if you misuse the name of God. Now, when we first read this passage, we think, well, I got this. I can understand what that means. I mean, it means to not curse using God's name. It means to not make an oath with God's name, knowing that you're going to break it. I mean, it's pretty simple, Ernest. We're good to go. I, that's what I've been taught my whole life. But what if there's something so much more to this passage? What if we misunderstood what this passage is actually saying? What, what if there's something that we got to do to go a little bit deeper to understand why this, this, this commandment, this third commandment of not misusing God's name is so important? How do you misuse a name anyways? I mean, you can misspell a name. People misspell my name all the time. So like when I go to Chick-fil-A, I have to use my son's name. I'm like, hey, my name is Wyatt. I feel like I'm a liar every time I go through there. But why? Because Wyatt's so much easier to spell. When I say my name, they're like, okay, Furnace. Okay, Burnus. I'm like, what? I don't know, even know what those names are. Like, that's not a name, you know? And then they misspell it, and I'm like angry and all of that. And so you can misspell a name. 
You, I think my name has been misused at times, especially growing up. My mama would yell my name a lot. And I'm like, mom, you're misusing my name. You're not supposed to yell at me. I didn't say that at all because other things would have happened to me. But, uh, uh, or, or my friends would misuse my name or people who thought they were friends of mine uh, by calling me Ernie. Um, and some of you, you're going to call me Ernie after this. And I'm just going to tell you right now, we're not friends. Okay? <laughs> I, I'm not joking. Uh, so uh, you can misuse a name. But how? Like what does it mean to misuse God's name? What does that look like? And what if it's not just about how, what comes out of your mouth? What, it's about, what if it's about so much more? What if there's another meaning? Well, to find out what the other meaning is, you have to go a little bit deeper. And that's why we've created these message series hubs. In fact, on these hubs, on this particular hub for this series, we've given you a lot of resources. And one of those resources is called Blue Letter Bible. It's one of my favorite resources that I use. Uh, when I was going through seminary, I studied Greek. But if you were to ask me to speak in Greek or to read it now, it, I'd have a really difficult time to do that. I also didn't study Hebrew. So there's got to be resources to help me with that. Blue Letter Bible is one of those resources. When you look at that phrase, to misuse, or as other translations say, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. So if you look at that phrase, to take or to misuse, that word in Hebrew is nasa. And nasa means to lift up or to carry. So God is saying, don't mess up carrying my name. Don't lift up my name in such a way that it's going to cause destruction or it's going to cause evil or you shouldn't be doing. So how do you lift up a name? How do you carry God's name? Well, to understand that, you've got to go to a couple other passages. Let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 28, verse 29. This passage is about a guy named Aaron. Aaron is the high priest at this point. And here's what it says. Whenever Aaron it is the holy place. He will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So it says whenever Aaron would come into the holy place, the holy place is where you would meet God. The very presence of God was here. Every time Aaron would come in here, it says that, that he would bear the names of the sons of Israel on a breastpiece meaning that he would actually have the names of every tribe. There were 12 tribes in Israel. Every tribe was named after one of the sons. He would have their names on a breastpiece as he walked in. To bear the names, the same word is used, NASA, to carry or to lift up. So God here is saying that when, when Aaron goes in, he's got to carry these names before God. It's kind of like, it's kind of like my Jokic jersey. Uh, I, I got the, my, my, my Nuggets jersey right here, and it's got a name on it. It doesn't say Nuggets, but you know what Maha City means. Uh, and then you got Jokic on the back as well, and this is the, um, the world champion Nuggets right here. Yeah, that's right. The Heat had nothing on these boys. But when, I, when you wear this, when you wear a jersey, you have a name on it, right? You have a name of the city or the, or the team. You have a name of a player on the back that's carrying the name. This is what God is talking about here is that we are to carry names, his name. To get a little bit more context, you've got to go to Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. And it says this, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully... And keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God's saying, you're my chosen people. You're my holy nation. 
You are a royal priesthood. You bear my name, so carry it well. As a father, I understand this. Why? Because my kids carry my name. I might have the most boring and most common name on the planet, Smith, but they still carry my name. When they go out, when they're in public, when they're you know, in school and around friends and around others, they bear my name, meaning that, that they either show respect to me and, and our household or they don't. Sometimes it's not a good situation. Other times it's really good and they bear my name really well. But as Smiths, we have some, some rules. We have some values in our household. And we talk all the time, hey, that's not what Smiths do. Why do we say that? Because they're carrying my name. God's saying, you carry my name. That if you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to me. And in uh, Deuteronomy, Moses is reiterating the Ten Commandments. And as he's doing that, we see this phrase where God says, hey, you are my people, wholly belonging to Yahweh. Another name for God, another name for himself. He's saying, you wholly belong to me. So how do we lift up the name of God? How do we carry God's name. Well, you don't carry his name or represent him to no effect. To carry his name means that you do something with it. It's to live in such a way that befits someone that belongs to him. It's that if you are a follower of Jesus, then your life looks like Jesus. Your allegiance is to Jesus. You vote for people who look most like Jesus. It means you don't respond or react like the rest of the world reacts. You don't respond to drivers cutting you off the same way that others do. You don't lie and cheat because everybody else does it. It's, it's you look different. You're wholly set apart. And because you're wholly set apart, your life should look different than everybody else. It's not because we're churchgoers. It's not because we call ourselves Christians. It's because we've accepted Christ into our lives, and now we bear his name. We lift his name. We carry that everywhere we go. When I, when I first accepted Christ, uh, somebody said, hey, Ernest, you might be the only Bible that someone reads. You might be the only Jesus that somebody sees. And that stuck with me. Because I have to ask myself, what kind of Bible am I? What are people reading in my life? Does it look like God's true word or does it look like something else? What type of Jesus are they seeing? Do they see uh, the most pure reflection of Christ or are they seeing more of Ernest than they are of Jesus? What if this commandment is not just about what comes out of your mouth? What if it's about how you live your life? That if you say you're a follower of Christ, then you live like a follower of Christ. It's connecting to God, connecting to his character, connecting to his purpose, his purpose for the world. That if we're followers of Jesus, it's not that you've just been saved. It's not that you just don't have to worry about hell now. It's that you now carry his name to the ends of the earth. That when people see you, they should look at you and go, man, I want what that person has. I long for the joy that they have, for the love that they have, the way that they, they live their lives, the way that they, they raise their kids, the way they respond to tragedies and all of that. I want that because we carry his name. You see, I, to, to be a follower of Christ literally means that you carry the name of God. Christian means little Christ or Christ Jr. So you quite literally carry his name. That if you say you're a Christian then you're Christ Jr. Some would say that this is the second most important 
commandment out of the ten. That the first is the very first one, that have no other gods, worship no other gods. Because that's God saying, I'm yours. I'm your God. I'm to be your God. And the second most important out of the ten is this one, which is us saying, God, I'm your person. We are your people. We will carry your name. The first commandment is about worship of God. This commandment is about identity. It's about whose you are. If you have your worship right and your identity right, then everything falls in the line. But if your worship is out of place or your identity is out of place, that's when this world gets messed up. When you look at the Israelites, every time they failed, every time they walked away from God, every time they did something that was displeasing to God, it was either because they got their worship wrong, they started worshiping other things, or they got their identity wrong. They started thinking about who they thought they were, who they thought they should be, rather than what God says to them about them. You look at our world. I would say most of us would, would agree that our world has an identity crisis. Like People don't know who they are. Sometimes quite literally, they don't understand who they are. We have this identity crisis because we don't understand whose we are. And when we get our worship wrong or we get our identity wrong, it causes destruction. It causes havoc in our homes, in our workplace, in our communities. God's saying, I want you to carry my name. When you carry my name and you understand whose you are, you understand that you represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when you represent the God of the universe, the one who has come to save all, when you realize that and you understand your identity, you live in such a way that people want to be changed. They want what you have. Jesus even commanded us to pray for this. Look at in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was teaching us how to pray, and he said this in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing that Jesus prays is that may God's name be revered. May his name be lifted up. NASA, lifted on high, carried. It's not just that we go, oh, God, you're so great. God, you're so good. It's that we actually believe that to the point that we take action. And that we live in such a way that we say God is great. God is good. God is is uh, so faithful. His promises are true. That we live in such a way that the world sees that. It's not just that we pray it, but we live it. How do you live that? I mean, how do you live in such a way that if you're the only Bible that somebody sees, they would see the most clear reflection of God's word? How do you live in such a way that if you're the only Jesus that somebody sees that you're the most pure reflection of who Christ is. Well, there's a passage in Galatians that I think kind of answers this for us. It's Galatians chapter 5, and this passage is about how you and I, if we are filled with the Spirit, meaning that if you've accepted Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then you are called to live by the Spirit. You are called to put to death the things of the flesh. The things that you want to do, our desires, the things that make us feel good and all of that, like put that aside and go, God, what do you want? That's what it means to live by the Spirit. God, how do you want me to live my life? God, how do you want me to respond to these situations? And God says, when you're living by the Spirit, this is the fruit. This is what the world sees. This is how you live 
your life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. I'm going to read this passage again. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to ask yourself two questions. First question is this. Which one of these do I do really well? Like which one of these would other people be like, oh man, that person really lives out that part of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Because all of us do something well. All of us live out some aspect of the fruit of the Spirit well in your life. When we were in Kenya, we were with a pretty large team and one of the individuals on the team, her name is Victoria, and man, she like exudes joy. Like she's like one of the most joyful individuals I've ever met in my life. She just, it just comes out of her. That's just one of the things that she does really, really well. What do you do well? Like which of the fruit of the Spirit would you say, man, I do really well at that one, and then which one would you say, mm, I probably don't look like Jesus in that area. As I read through this, it might be, it might be like, ah, patience maybe isn't my strong suit. Or gentleness is not something that I'm good at as a man or whatever. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which one do you do really well that others would say, man, you've, you've got that locked down, and, others, and then which one or two or three would you say, I need to look more like Jesus in this area? Now here's the reality, none of us are perfect. That's why we need the grace of God, because none of us are perfect. So when you look at this, there's not one of us that's gonna be like, I do all of those really, really well. There's an area of struggle, and thank God for his grace, because he offers us grace. But when you see that area of your life and you see it come out, you need to make a right. You need to turn the wrong into a right. All of us struggle with this. And we, just, we just got back from Kenya and man, it was one of the most challenging trips I've been on. I mean, like everything that could go wrong on a trip seemed to go wrong. Uh, Johnny mentioned earlier, we, we didn't get our bags and uh, it doesn't sound like a big deal to y'all, but when you're out in the bush with one pair of underwear, it's not good. Not that you needed to know that or anything, but just the reality of the situation. We, Waverly and I and three others got our bags going toward, back toward the airport to come home. So that's when we got our bags and that can be challenging. It's first world problems, I get it, but still challenging. So we're flying back and we land in London and we get to the gate and one guy goes through and then they stop us all. And they're like, ah, oh, sorry, you, you had to be here 45 minutes ahead of your, your flight, it's 43 minutes. I'm like, okay. Uh, and I, I, like inside of me, I'm like starting to like, like boil. They're like, you have to go over there to the rebooking. And I don't know much about flights and all that, but I know the word rebooking, and that's not a positive word. So we're standing in line, we get up to the lady, and she says, okay, and she starts to tell me that we have to rebook you guys, blah, blah, blah. And I said, let me ask you a question. Does it take 45 minutes from the security to get to our gate? And she's like, I don't understand the question. I said, well, let me ask you it again. Does it take 45 minutes to get from security to the gate? She's like, no, we, but we care about your bags. I said, you didn't care about our bags coming here. 
It's a great moment in my life right now. <laughs> Waverly's standing right beside me. I'm like, Waverly, why don't you go over there so you don't see this right now? And then I'm like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have responded that way. I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I'm sure you get this all the time. She had some great jokes for us. And she was like, it's all good. It happens every day. I'm like, well, it shouldn't have happened today with me. I'm sorry. Like, you're not going to be perfect in these things. But when you recognize that you fall somewhere, then ask for forgiveness. Ask for grace. I have to do that all the time with my spouse. I have to do it all the time with my kids. Ask for forgiveness. And then go, okay, God, what do I need to do different? So the next time when I'm in an airport and that happens, I don't respond that same way. But there's some growth in me. That I become more like Christ in those moments. The interesting thing about the fruit of the Spirit, a lot of people, they'll, they'll call it the fruits of the Spirit. It's not the fruits. It's because they're not individual. They're all together. It's one fruit. It's together. Meaning that you can't be like, oh, well, I'm really good at love, but I'm pretty terrible at kindness and gentleness. You're like, I don't know if you can be good at love and be terrible at these two. They all together, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning that we have to do well at all of them. We can't just be okay doing well with one or two. But which area do you need God to work on? Which area do you say, hey, I need to become more like Christ in this area so I can lift up the name of, so I can carry the name of God so I don't misuse his name. When you look at your life, if somebody were to read your life like a Bible, what would they read? When you look at your life and how you respond and how you react, how you treat your kids, how you treat your neighbors, your coworkers, if people were to see your life, what Jesus would they see? And as you process through that, just say, God, forgive me for this area or for these areas. And then God, grow me, stretch me, mold me. Because God, I want to carry your name. As you and I carry the name of God, people will see the reflection of Jesus in our life. And as they see the reflection of Jesus in our life, they'll want him. They'll long for him. Like we all want our world to change. And there are a lot of things that we can do, right? We can vote certain ways and we can engage in certain nonprofits and we can go on mission trips and all of that stuff. But the greatest thing that you can do is to go, okay, how am I living out the fruit of the Spirit? How am I carrying the name of God? If you carry it well, people will be drawn to Christ and we'll start to see changes in our life, in the individuals around us, and in our community. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and man, I just thank you so much, God, for your mercy and your grace. I thank you, God, that even though I fail so often, there's so many times where it's easier to put down your name to respond in a moment. It's easier to put down carrying who you are and the fact that we are children of, we are a holy priesthood. We are set apart. It's easier to put that away and respond in our flesh. But God, we want to be people that carry your name well, that lift up your name well. That when people see our lives, not just our words, not just when they hear our words, but when they see our lives, Father, that they would see a reflection of you. They would long to know you and to know this great God that we serve and we worship. So, Father, I pray for all of us. I pray, Father, that 
You would help us to identify the areas that we're doing well. And God, in those areas, we are grateful for your mercy and your grace. God, help us to continue living out those areas well. But God, for the areas that we struggle, areas where maybe we're not patient or we're not gentle, maybe we're struggle with self-control or joy, or whatever it may be, God, God, I pray that first you would offer us grace. We thank you for that. We pray that we would receive it. God, that we would ask others for forgiveness, those that we wrong. And then, God, we pray that you would grow us in that area. Help us to become more like you, to look more like you, so that your name will be lifted on high. And as you do that, may you draw all men and women to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.